Welcome to the Story Walk, a podcast by storytellers for storytellers. And we hope that means you. Whether you identify as a storyteller with a capital S or if you just like to tell stories in your work, say as a teacher, librarian, counselor or a community leader. And not forgetting, if you're a parent or a grandparent looking to share stories and values with your family. And since the Story Walk is presented by Feast, the Federation of Asian Storytellers, our focus is on sharing Asian stories, celebrating tellers from the Philippines in the East to Turkey in the West and countless storytelling communities that lie in between. Hello and welcome to episode 2 of Story Walk season 2. I'm Shubha, your host for this episode and joining me as co-hosts are Parvati Ishwaran and Prakriti Agrawal. This is a very special episode for we are celebrating World Storytelling Day 2022. But first things first, we, the entire team of nine podcast producers of this new season, would like to thank you all for lending your ear to our inaugural episode last month. Since the year 2003, 20th March every year is celebrated as World Storytelling Day. So Parvati, I suppose you have a little backstory about this special day to share, don't you? Oh yes, Shubha. So, if you trail back, tracing the roots of this special day, you will find yourself in the land of the famous Northern Lights, Sweden. It all started off in the year 1991, when 20th March was celebrated as National Day for Storytelling. Did I get that right, Prakriti? You are absolutely right, Parvati. Staying true to its name, this day brings together storytellers from far and wide, sharing as many stories in as many languages under the umbrella of one theme. And this year, the theme is Lost and Found. Isn't that interesting? For this theme is up for so many interpretations. In our episode today, we have put together a flavorsome spread of stories across segments, miso, dim sum and fortune cookie. And just when your taste buds are tingled, we serve you a succulent entree with our storytelling expert Ms. Rituparna Ghosh from India, who will talk to you about how to map your story. This is the second in series in our Asia Stories segment. Mm-hmm. That's not all. Guess what? We are going to give you a peek into our pantry where you can listen to the episode producers chit-chatting about our very own interpretations of the theme. Now that we have laid out the spread before you, Let's begin with our first segment, Miso, where we take you on a tasting trip to Indonesia 
with BA. Takarabi is a multifaceted and multilingual storyteller who was introduced to the world of oral storytelling by her parents. Her creative journey began in 2017 and she is passionate about sharing stories from Indonesia and her own original stories in Bahasa Indonesia, Minangkabau and English. Friends, I'm going to tell an original story I wrote many months ago. It was inspired by many true stories which happened in many corners of Jakarta. That's the current capital city of my country, Indonesia. Oi, ncang ncing, nyak babe, mpo abang, dengerin nih cerita ayeh. Hey, uncles, aunties, mummies, daddies, sisters, brothers, come hear my story. This is a story of a pair of sandals. A stanky, stinky, moldy, moldy, ugly, ugly pair of sandals. Even though they were stanky, stinky, moldy, moldy, and ugly, ugly, this particular pair of sandals were very proud. Because they were the favorite sandals of Abah, the wealthiest man in Kampung Betawi. Abah was notorious not only because of his wealth, but also because of his favorite sandals. Oh, how Abah loved his sandals. Wherever he went, he would never leave without them flip-flops. When he went to the market, flippy flop, flip, flop, Abah would wear his sandals. When he went to the wedding, flippy flop, flip flop, his sandals went to the wedding as well. Even when he went to the mosque, flippy flop, flip flop, his sandals would be the most loyal companion. Abah, you're so wealthy. You can't even remember how much money you have, how much land you own, and how many houses you've built. But your sandals, your beloved flip flops, They are so stanky, stinky, moldy, moldy, and ugly, ugly. Can you just buy a new pair of sandals, Abba? Asked Abba's granddaughter. That means, no way, no way. I love my flippy flop, answered Abba, ignoring his granddaughter. One awful day, Abba took his sandals to the mosque. As usual, he left the sandals in front of the mosque because obviously you cannot wear sandals into a mosque. When Abba was concentrating during the congregational prayers, his flip-flops were resting in the mosque's veranda. Badum badum. Wee wow. Wee wow. Badum badum. A little hand creeping close to the flip-flop. Badum badum. Wee wow. Wee. Wow, closer and closer to the flip-flops and that little hand owned by a little thief took Abba's flip-flops. Bloop! And that little thief ran away. Abu, 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 abu. Oh no, the sandals were panicking. They really wished they could talk or scream. If they could, they would say, Help! We're being kidnapped! 
but alas, they were only a pair of sandals who couldn't talk. Then that little thief took the sandals into his house. The sandals saw that house, and they thought, "Oh, this is so different compared to Abba's house. Abba's house was big and clean. This thief's house was small. It's located in the middle of the garbage dump. Oh, enak aje. No way, no way. This would not be our new home." And then the little thief put the sandals at the corner of his house. Oh, the sandals thought, it's so cramped in here, and so many rats, dirty rats, and cockroach, dirty cockroach, crawling on top of us. No way, no way. We must find our way home to Abba. But what could they do? They couldn't walk by themselves. They still couldn't talk. They're only a pair of sandals. So they waited, a day, two days, the whole week, until one day the little thief took the sandals and wrapped them inside an old piece of newspapers like a gift. And the sandals heard the little thief sang, "Happy birthday to you." Happy birthday to you! Happy birthday, dear father! The newspaper was teared open, and the sandals saw a man, the little thief's father. His face was dirty. Probably he never showered, unlike Abba, who showered two times a day with the best soap ever. His feet were black. Probably he never washed it, unlike Abba, whose feet were always clean. The man's eyes got teary. He looked at the little thief, his son, who from now on we would call the little boy, and he smiled. And the little boy said, "Father, happy birthday! This is my present for you. Now you don't have to walk around barefoot anymore." At that moment, the sandals no longer thought. No way, no way! At that moment, the sandals thought, "Abba, he has enough money to buy new sandals, right? The ones who are not moldy, ugly, and stinky. And this man, he doesn't even have enough money to buy food. Abba, he's very forgiving. He would let us go, right? This man, he really needs some sandals." The sandals were right. At that moment, in his big house, even though he was very sad, Abba had already let his favorite sandals go and accepted a new pair of sandals bought by his granddaughter. In the little boy's house, the sandals realized that they had found their new home. Oh, the little boy's father! He wore them sandals everywhere. When he went to the market to collect some garbage for him to sell. Flippy flop, flip flop. The sandals protected the man from sharp glasses. When it rained and the roads were dirty, flippy flop, flip flop. The sandals would protect the man's feet. When he worked as a porter at the train station, flippy flop, flip flop. The sandals were proud to accompany the man, trying to put some food on the table for his family. Oi, encang encing, enyak babe, empo abang, segitu dah ni cerita aye. 
Hey! Uncles, aunties, mommies, daddies, sisters, brothers, that's the end of my story! Wow! Thank you, B.A. That was a very interesting story and I loved your voice play. I have always found slippers to be an interesting and important motif in many stories. Oh yes, Parvati. And that reminds me of an anecdote of Mahatma Gandhi when once he was boarding a crowded train. And while he was boarding, his one slipper slipped off on the platform. And without even giving a second thought, he threw his other slipper also on the platform. As the train had started moving, many people were confused about this behavior of his. And he just smiled and said, In the loss of my slippers, I think I found an opportunity to give a contribution to a poor man who can use these slippers to cover his bare feet. Our next stopover is in India for our adult story segment Dimsum with Meera Venkatesan. Meera Venkatesan is a professional performance storyteller, trainer and learning consultant with a love of words and a deep desire to create meaningful learning. This story is from the great Indian epic Mahabharata which is supposed to have been penned more than 5,000 years ago. Victory at any cost. That is what they wanted. Don't they all in any war? And this was the Mahabharata war, the great Indian war. They say that every king in the land was aligned to one side or the other. And who were the two sides? The war was actually fought between cousins. On one side were the Pandavas, the sons of Pandu, other the Kauravas, the sons of the blind king Dhritarashtra. The Pandavas had been chased out of their territory. They had undergone great hardships, all because of the deceit of the Kauravas. They were thirsting for vengeance and they were thirsting for victory and so they wanted victory at any cost. But when Yudhishthira, the eldest brother of the Pandavas, heard the cost of the victory, he too was shaken. He looked at his younger brother Sahadeva, the astrologer, and asked him, Isn't there any other way, Sahadeva? Any other way? No, brother said Sahadeva, the only way the Pandavas can ensure victory in this war is if we sacrifice our brother Arjuna or our cousin Krishna. Because they are the only ones who have all the 32 qualities needed in a warrior. As far as I know, there is no one else. Ah, said Yudhishthira, then I will accept defeat. Arjuna, my brother and Krishna... Our dear cousin, they are more dear to me than myself. The Pandava's heart darkened with anger. 
they had been waiting for this and this was not to be it was at this moment that the light filled the tent the light from the open flap of the tent a light from a young boy who stood framed by the light all the five pairs of eyes turned to sahadeva with the same question is he the one sahadeva nodded suddenly hope surged in the minds of the pandavas and the boy spoke i am iravan the son of arjuna the third pandava and the naga princess the snake princess ulupi you see my father was lost to me i mean he left us when i wasn't even born so i have never seen him when i came to know about the war i decided that i would like to offer myself to my father in any way he seems fit so i came here the pandavas heads hung in shame what had they thought arjuna moved out of the shadows and walked towards the boy and hugged him and said i am sorry i was in more exuberant my son i am happy to meet you your mother has brought you up well you seem to be preoccupied said the boy is there any way i can help no said arjuna no you are tired you should rest there is a way you can help rang out a voice smooth as silk and clear as bell it was krishna all eyes turned to him arjuna said no krishna no bhima roared i will win the war for the pandavas prediction or no prediction but leave him alone yudhishthira said no krishna this i cannot agree krishna deaf to their entreaties walked up to the boy and said the pandavas need to sacrifice someone like you who has all the 32 qualities required in order to win the war my boy are you ready for that the boy's eyes widened in shock but they were soon replaced by a smile i came here so that i could do anything my father wanted if this is what he needs i'm happy to do it but i have i have a condition whenever i've heard my mother talk about my father i have seen that love in her eyes a spark that that i'd never seen her for anyone else including me i have often wondered how it must feel to be loved by someone like that even though she knew him for just a day hi hi i have never known the love of a woman yet i would like to be married before i die i i would also like to die a martyr in the war krishna smiled at the boy and said so be it and in an instant krishna turned to mohini the enchantress alluring beautiful her eyes reflecting love for this young man and the young man was just ensnared by her beautiful eyes they were married and spent a day and night of complete bliss and the next day iravan offered himself to be sacrificed to goddess kali and when he died his wife mohini cried like no one had ever cried for their love the love the pure love that she had found and lost just in a day 
they say krishna revived iravan and he went on to fight and die a martyr in the war this is an interesting story because it is one of those where the folk tales make inroads into mythology while the story of iravan is from the mahabharata the part about him marrying mohini and him dying a martyr in the war comes from folk tales from south of india in fact there is a temple festival called kuvagam where the people from the transgender community congregate every year to become wives of the god of the temple iravan and then at the end of the festival when iravan is sacrificed they become his widows and weep for their lost love Thank you Meera for sharing this lesser known story from Mahabharata. It always surprises me how just when I think I've got a fair idea about the stories a new story comes to the fore. Well I hope your taste buds are now stimulated and you are prepped for our succulent entree. In our first episode you heard Dr. Zenga Zalka talk to you about how to pick a story. Now that you have your story staring back at you, it is time that we get a bird's eye view of the story. It is what we call mapping a story. And to take us through this process step by step, we have with us Rituparna Ghosh. Well, you can describe her as a story digger, story charmer, story gatherer, story extractor, story spotter. She's anything but just a storyteller. Ritu, welcome to the Story Walk podcast season 2 and thank you so much for agreeing to be a part of our Ace the Story segment. Thank you for having me Shobha and all the producers of uh, Story Walk season 2. So Ritu, given that the seeds for the Feast podcast were sown by you, you must be feeling nostalgic at the moment, isn't it? A feeling of having come a full circle, I guess. Like you said, it's an entirely nostalgic ride for me to be back on the podcast, to be doing a recording, and to talk to you fine ladies out here. And I'm excited. Thank you for having me. We are excited too. In episode one, we had an insightful conversation with Dr. Zenga, who spoke to us about how to scout a story. I'm sure by now our audiences would have found their story, and it is time to map it. And given your expertise, we felt you would be the perfect person to give us. insights on this so let's begin with understanding how important it is for you as a storyteller to map your story well okay so i don't stick to one methodology of mapping a story mapping a story is very very important i also begin by saying that i don't pick stories stories pick mm. me and there are various different uh, interesting things that a story will speak to me while i'm reading it while i've even heard it from somebody very seldom do i pick up stories by listening to others only one or two stories which i think i have in my repertoire which i've heard other stories tell and therefore i go back and find the original version and i retell it but most of the stories which are in my story bag are stories which i have read and discovered and those are the stories which talk to me and speak to me and quite naturally the process of deciding how to tell it flows from that so if i were to answer that question yes mapping a story is very important because it is about conveying not just how beautifully that story speaks to you but also that story seeks to be told 
So the beauty of the story needs to come out and therefore the mapping process, uh, breaking it down into its elements and going in bit by bit and working and reworking on every element is so important because you have to justify that story. I'm somebody who always talks about the fact that we are a medium and the real winner in this entire exchange is either the story or the listener. You're telling and you are incidental. So you have a responsibility. You have to do justice to that story and convey it well. If you put that weightage automatically, Shabha, away from the teller, if you put the focus on the story, you will realize how important, therefore, it is to justify that story. So you have to map it well so that the story stands out and people go back remembering the story, not the teller, not the telling. If they do, then that has to be a plus plus. It has to be the story that they have to go back with. Absolutely. I agree. We have now ascertained that mapping is a crucial step in crafting one story. So can you now tell us how does one go about step by step in mapping their story? So Shubha, when I look at a story, the first thing that I look at is to really justify it for myself. Why am I telling this story? Mm -hmm. What in it made me tell it? What are the parts of my brain and my heart that lit up? And I begin mapping my story from that moment onwards, okay? It is also about perspective that when I look at the story, I look at different things in it. And when I look at those different things, did anybody else see it like that? Maybe they don't. Maybe they ought to look at the story like that. I'll give an example by referring to a story which is my only story in the Feast Anthology, Historic Week. And it is a story which is available on my podcast as well. It's the story about the rabbits and the elephants. Now, the story is very simple. It's a classic Panchatantra story. It's been published in children's books and in anthologies. Now, when I look at that story, the first thing that came to me was about this presence of an everlasting lake. It being a magical source of a very basic ingredient which every species needs on this planet, which is water. So for me, that lake, that setting of that lake was very, very important. And it came to me like that, that therefore... Who owns a lake? Is it all right to fight over a lake? Is it all right to argue and take ownership of it and not let others come in and use that lake? And I wanted to talk about it. So that was my perspective. Then I go about understanding that if that is the reason, if that is my basic thought, whose lake is it anyway? If I were to like create a tagline or bumper sticker for my story or that one question which I ask in the end, in my storytelling vocabulary, I call it the spark. This is the spark I want to ignite in my listeners. And I actively call it handing over of the spark. Every time I tell a story, there is a certain idea, a certain thought which my listener goes back with. It's that basic idea which which came to my mind when I read that story first. And that's the reason why I want to tell the story from that perspective alone. So begin with that bumper sticker, begin with that idea, that thought, that spark towards the end and then work back towards it. So for example, I want to talk about if that is my ultimate feeling, everybody should be troubled by that question so that they answer it or that they choose to reflect over it and then share their response. If whose water is it anyway, then I go back and try and build towards it. That anxiety, that tension, that the conflict I will try everything in my capacity to accentuate that during my story or build towards it slowly, take it to its height, till at a point I want you to be outraged and think that, oh, yeah, whose water is it anyway? 
So that's what I want to build. So for me, mapping the story is finding out that spark, which I will build towards. So my tempo, my pace, my rhythm of my story is entirely dependent on that. Then the elements in the story, I break it down very well in terms of what does the forest look like? Or how many words will I use to describe the forest? Everybody needs to visualize that scene. So I spend some time setting the context of the story. When I say context, it will be about the setting. It will be about the characters. Why do they exist in my story? And therefore, what is the problem that they are working towards? Going by the narrative arc, I will say, till my inciting action, I'm going to spend a lot of time in building it up. So I will take some time to talk about the forest, the setting, you know, remember I said I have to accentuate the tension and the conflict. I deliberately add the element of a drought that it hasn't rained and all the water bodies have dried up. Since I bring that element in, there is also that sense of anxiety. Oh, so now if there's no water, where are the animals going to drink water from? And I throw in a couple of scenes of animals looking for water everywhere and how they are straying into different territories. When I tell my story, which is not there in the book, sometimes I also bring in a scene of animals fighting over a small puddle of water. So which is again reflecting on the conflict of owning a little, the tiniest bit of water resource that you find and how people can fight over it. So bringing that into context to see what can I layer my story with without deviating from the moot point, which is that ownership of water or sharing it or preserving it or having access to safe drinking water, let's say, is very important for sustenance of all species. So if I want to build towards the narrative, I'm going to create scenes to do that. And, you know, in every story, we also look at it in terms of the characters, who are the conflicting characters. This story is particularly beautiful because you begin by liking the rabbits because they are so cute. And I invest in, in telling you about all the cute rabbits. So I, I describe the rabbits in, in many ways. And then I want you to sort of picture them and say, oh, so cute. They're hopping around little bunnies, la la la, in your head. I want you to picture that. And then the, the immediate scene I bring in the contrast, which says that then there are these big elephant legs trampling upon these uh, rabbit and I want you to feel angry about the elephants so for me while I'm mapping it's important for me to build my scenes at the same time create emotional connect with the certain character in my story so I invest in building in my characters with appropriate words and then I see where is the emotional weightage going so if my listener is going to feel sorry for the rabbits then I want them to feel anger for the elephants. I want them to feel that and that particular moment. But the next moment again, I'm going to bring in that dichotomy of them, the, the rabbits saying that, how dare they come to us? It is our lake. It only belongs to rabbits. We don't want to share it with the other animals. We will not give it to us back again. So I want them to now feel a little uncomfortable with the fact that they, a moment ago they were very happy with the rabbits and they are not happy with the elephants anymore. So you see this emotional dilemma, which is there in my story, it's very important for me to create it in every story I tell. And for me, mapping is important because of that reason. Because while I'm narrating the scenes, while I'm breaking down the story, for me, it is important for them to feel this, this tension. Otherwise, they will not contemplate on that park, which is there at the end of my story. Whose water is it anyway? But I want them to still answer that question. And if I don't get them to go through this emotional ride during the story, they will not answer that question. So for me, mapping a story is like that. I go by the narrative arc, I break down my scenes, I do very good character sketch, I inject emotions into my story. So I want them to go on this emotional ride. 
and as long as they feel the emotional right they will go with the tension they will start thinking they will move, move ahead they will try to problem solve in their heads even though i am not asking this within my story my my listeners are already thinking how can they possibly solve this problem all of this is happening because i've mapped the story and i've mapped the emotions that my listeners will feel and the questions that's going to come into their heads i agree i know we have had this discussion each time we worked on a story but for the listeners i would like to ask you this question that by bringing in this sort of a dilemma or this constant switch of emotions do you think there's a possibility that we leave the listeners confused or even leave them with a question in their mind and if yes is that okay yes so that because i end my story at the point asking them that whose water is it anyway i don't want i want them to think on behalf of both the animals i want them to like and dislike both of them i want them to ask whose water is it anyway was it right or was it wrong who do you feel sorry for who was right who was not who was wrong in the way they were taking ownership of it could they have done anything else i don't even bring in the word shared i only say could they have done anything else to resolve this conflict so it's only when my listeners will feel this tension in the story will they want to solve it isn't it that's what storytelling is and if i can't get them to do that then my mapping is incomplete awesome and it's very interesting to see how appropriate mapping can change perspectives of a story or for that matter peel out several layers of an otherwise simple looking story now that brings me to this question that is mapping always necessary should every story be mapped or can we do away with some i think mapping is always important shubha non negotiable what matters is how much do you map and how fast do you do it there are longer stories in which longer stories by length and complex stories in terms of theme and treatment and you know very very diverse very high emotional ride kind of stories which which are important from the performance point of view as well as from the audience um, entertainment point of view and when i say entertainment it could be delight it could be tears it could be anything if i have to move my audience into feeling extreme emotions i have to map my story very well but even for shorter stories for example did i ever map the rabbit and the elephant no because uh, for me did i map it i mean again map is a, what is a process to sit down write do a storyboard do a con- construct maybe i did not do it on a paper and a pen but i did it in my head before i decided to tell it so that's something which is non negotiable it has to happen for every story because otherwise you are just retelling a story the moment i don't anchor then i will depend on my theatrics to do it but they will not remember the story and honestly shubha in many festivals in many places people have come back to me said i don't remember where i wa- saw you but i remember the story you told me so they don't remember my name they don't remember my face they remember the story it's only because i have mapped it well they take that story stays with them much longer than i do and that is my ultimate objective as a storyteller thank you ritu thank you very much for taking time out to have this conversation with us thank you for having me now that was indeed a lucid conversation shubha found it very valuable and i'm sure it will help our audiences hone their story crafting skills as well if you have any questions or comments with regard to this segment or with respect to storytelling 
please write to us at storywalk@gmail.com now before we dish out the fortune cookie for you let's take a quick peek into the pantry cuz i am sure my fellow producers are having a quick slice of a chit chat about our theme for today and about what's hot on feast next month if you want a bite from it follow me to the pantry hey prakriti you just made it on time parvati was just going to share her lost and found story so parvati what were you saying you know shubha january 2020 i had moved to a new place i was at crossroads or rather my storytelling was at crossroads with no connects and then great lockdown happened and i thought my storytelling was over my friend said why don't we do storytelling online online what was that i thought she hand held me and together we started online sessions for children on storytelling on world storytelling day 2020 exactly 2 years back and there has been no looking back i have made so many new friends new connects narrated stories across the world i found my storytelling with a bank which i thought i had lost during the pandemic I think that stands true for all of us Parvati and for me lost and found has a very unique meaning every time i had a favorite thing and i was about to lose it the entire universe would give me signs that be careful prakriti once i was in goa and i had this pink sandals very stylish which could be worn on the beach and while playing in the water twice they were taken by the waves but the waves returned them silly me i ignored the signs given by the nature and finally when i went for a water sport activity i lost them forever so that day i decided that if i lose my favorite thing and find it again then it is time for me to hold it tighter surely nature has its own ways you see and interestingly i have an anecdote to share as well i had gone shopping with my son And at the billing counter, this person offered me a thick plastic bag and a not so thick cloth bag, and I chose the latter. Now, on the way back, we had this whole discussion about why I chose what I chose, how, as a child, I did not like carrying a cloth bag, and how I felt that it just wasn't cool. But today, I know otherwise. And guess what? The very next day, this theme was announced, and it suddenly struck me. that how with time we had lost a lot of these practices that were followed in our households as a way of life but now we are all reminded of those practices and are going back to it cause it has become the need of the hour so you see for me this is the connotation that stands out when i think of lost and found in fact why don't you all drop us an email with what lost and found means to you I'm sure that's going to be an interesting read for all of us. And now let me give you a taste of the spread 
that is an offing in feast this april mentorship applications are open for puppetry and storytelling for adults feast is also accepting proposals for olio under all three streams kids adults and multilingual special interest groups await you you can either explore the existing ones or start your own what's more come april and the feast website is getting a whole new avatar if that's not all sit tight for the feast fulcrum team is putting together some sensational tongue tingling flavored events just for you someone rightly said desserts are the fairy tales to the kitchen after a wholesome meal of stories we bring to you a large bite of fortune cookie where we are going to serve you a bilingual story and for that we have kosher karimi a storyteller who likes to bring out the drama and the story with the right timing for the oohs and ahs and the boohoos and the wows joining her is julia atan an educator and workshop facilitator who uses stories to engage her audience with age no bar so here is a story in tandem by kosar and julia in english and malay in a small village in riau there lived a wealthy merchant and his beautiful wife they had a daughter named bawang puti they had a blissful life and every day was filled with laughter pada suatu hari istri saudagar itu jatuh sakit setiap hari dia semakin lemah dia memanggil anaknya dan berkata bawang puti ingat pesan ibu ini Selalu berbuat baik dan jangan sekali-kali berputus asa. Setelah kehilangan ibunya, bawang putih sungguh sedih. Dia selalu terkenangkan ibunya dan teringat lagu yang selalu dinyanyikan oleh ibunya setiap malam sebelum dia tidur. Patah tumbuh hilang berganti, mana yang hilang mungkin kembali. hati yang baik teruskan usaha satu hari nanti pasti bahagia one day the merchant's wife passed away now in the same village lived a widow who wanted to marry the merchant she befriended bawang puti and tried to win her trust the widow had a daughter named bawang mera She said, "Bawang Puti, how nice it would be if we become one family. I can look after you, and you will also have a sister. You will no longer be lonely." Bawang Puti memujuk ayahnya supaya berkahwin dengan janda itu. Pada mulanya, ayahnya tidak setuju. Tetapi dia kesihan melihat Bawang Puti yang sedih dan kesunyian. terutama sekali apabila dia terpaksa meninggalkan bawang putih seorang diri kerana harus menjalankan 
urusan kerja. Akhirnya, dia setuju. Dia berharap yang janda itu akan menjadi pengganti ibu dan dapat menjaga bawang putih dengan baik. So the merchant married the widow. Bawang putih, after losing her mother, now found a stepmother and stepsister. At first, they were very happy together. Unfortunately, a few years later, the merchant suddenly fell ill and died. Soon, the stepmother and stepsisters' real characters were revealed. Setelah kehilangan ayahnya, bawang putih dijadikan seperti hamba. Ibu dan kakak tirinya menyuruh bawang putih membuat semua kerja-kerja rumah. Dia hanya dibenarkan makan sisa-sisa dan tidur di dapur. Despite being made to eat leftovers and asked to sleep in the kitchen, Bawang Puti remembered her mother's words. She maintained a cheerful and hopeful attitude. She believed that one day everything would change for her if she kept being kind. She grew into a bright, beautiful girl, even prettier than Bawang Mera. Her stepmother and stepsister envied her greatly. They made her suffer even more, giving her a lot of chores to do from dawn to dusk. Bang Putih hanya mendapat ketenangan apabila dia pergi ke sungai untuk membasuh pakaian. Pada suatu hari, sehelai selendang kepunyaan bawang merah dibawa arus yang deras. Bang Putih takut dimarahi. Dia terus berlari di tepi sungai untuk mendapatkan selendang itu kembali. Bawang putih chased after bawang merah selendang that was washed away by the fast current. The selendang went out of sight. The river ended in a cave. Bawang putih went inside and found an old woman there. Di dalam gua, bawang putih berjumpa dengan seorang nenek tua yang berkata, Cucu, Siapakah kau dan apa yang kau buat di sini? Saya bawang putih, nenek, dan saya sedang mencari selendang kakak saya yang dibawa arus. Adakah nenek melihatnya? The old woman in the cave said, She saw the selendang, but bawang putih, you have to do some chores for me before getting it back. Apa yang harus saya buat? Bawang putih membersihkan gua dan menyiapkan makanan. Nenek sungguh gembira. Terima kasih bawang putih kerana telah menolong nenek. Ini selendang kakakmu. Happy with bawang putih's help to clean the cave and cook for her, the old woman returned the selendang to her. She then brought out two boxes, one large and the other small. I have a gift for you. Please choose one. Bawang putih disuruh memilih di antara kotak yang kecil atau yang besar. Akhirnya, dia memilih yang kecil. Selepas mengucapkan terima kasih, dia terus pulang ke rumah. Apabila dia tiba di rumah, dia dimarahi ibu tirinya. Kenapa lambat? Kemana kau berpoya-poya? Siapa yang akan buat kerja-kerja rumah ini? I was late because I was chasing your selendang, Bawang Merah. It was washed away by the river, replied Bawang Putih. What is that box in your hands? Give it to me. I want to see it," said Bawang Merah. Apabila Bawang Putih membuka kotak itu, dia dapati permata dan emas. 
ibu dan kakak tirinya teruja. Mereka menyoal bawang putih bertalu-talu. Bawang putih menerangkan bagaimana dia mendapat kotak itu. Quick, tell me where the cave is and what I have to do to get the box, insisted the stepsister. The next day, Bawang Mera purposefully let her salandang wash away. She followed the river to the cave and when the old woman asked her to help clean the cave, Bawang Mera firmly refused. Instead, she searched the cave and found the large box. Bawang Mera took the box and ran away. Setelah melarikan kotak besar dari gua itu, Bawang Mera pulang ke rumah. Bawang Mera membuka kotak itu dengan segera. Alah kata peranjatnya, apabila didapati yang kotak itu dipenuhi dengan kala jengking, cacing dan ular. Dia terus menjerit dan meminta pertolongan. Tetapi ibunya juga ketakutan. The kind-hearted Bawang Putih helped her stepmother and stepsister. They returned the house and jewellery that rightfully belonged to Bawang Putih. Bawang Putih in turn treated them well and allowed them to stay with her. From that day on, they did not mistreat Bawang Putih again. Bawang Merah dan ibunya menyesal atas perbuatan mereka terhadap Bawang Putih. Sungguh pun Bawang Putih kehilangan ibunya. Dia mendapat kebahagiaan kerana selalu membuat baik dan tidak berputus asa. What is lost may one day be found. Perseverance and a kind heart will one day bring you happiness. Patah tumbuh hilang berganti. Mana yang hilang mungkin kembali. Hati yang baik teruskan usaha. Satu hari nanti pasti bahagia. Thank you Kosar and Juria. That was an interesting story and a beautiful Malay song. Adding music to your story, especially in a language that comes from the same land as the story, takes the listening experience to a next level. Now, That culminates our second episode for Story Walk Season 2. We hope that you savor the sumptuous meal of stories. Write to us at storywalk@gmail.com to share your thoughts with us on today's episode. Story Walk is available on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcast and other leading podcast platforms. Subscribe to the Story Walk and share it with your friends and family. And do follow Feast on Facebook and Instagram for latest news and upcoming programs. I'm Shubha and on behalf of Prakriti Agrawal and Parvati Ishwaran, my wonderful co-hosts and co-producers, I would like to thank you all for listening in. Do join us next month for we look forward to bringing you more delectable stories with a fresh theme and interesting tips from an expert to ace your story.